Welcome, and let's first talk compliance. I'm Katherine Short, Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance, a division of Panacea Healthcare Solutions. Thanks for tuning in. This show is brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance at Panacea Healthcare Solutions as part of our commitment to bring you high quality information on hot topics. Panacea provides software and tech enabled services that help healthcare organizations improve their revenue, integrity, coding, and compliance with frontline expertise in mid-revenue cycle management. On today's episode, we are speaking with Govi Goyal, President Financial Services at Panacea Healthcare Solutions on the topic of evolution of price transparency and how to stay ahead of CMS requirements. Did you know that the new CMS price transparency rule and No Surprises Act are closely related? By providing good faith estimates for healthcare services, hospitals can comply with both regulations. This helps patients understand their expected costs upfront and avoid surprise medical bills. Panacea's CMS price transparency and hospital zero-based pricing software solutions can assist hospitals in providing accurate good faith estimates to their patients and stay compliant with the latest regulations. Nogovi, thanks so much for being on First Talk Compliance today. It's so great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Catherine. Before we get into the latest updates with price transparency, do you mind giving me a little bit of a background and refresher on the rule and the requirements? Sure. This all actually started back in January 2019, where CMS required that a hospital publish their charge master online for consumers. At that time, it was made clear by CMS that this would be the first of potentially many initiatives geared toward uh, increasing transparency regarding hospital and other provider fees. Uh, And with a long-term goal from which consumers can understand uh, their expected out-of-pocket expenditures for prospective care. Then in November of 2019, CMS issued its final price transparency rules Uh, which expanded the requirements and made them effective January 1st, 2021. For those who may not remember, the American Hospital Association had a lawsuit, attempted to overturn the final rule, and ended up failing uh, in in June of 2020. So here we are. It's been a little over two years since we went live with CMS price transparency rule. One would think by now we have achieved the intent of CMS price transparency, which is really to increase competition and drive prices down, make healthcare more affordable. We've got a lot of work to do, and we'll definitely get into that, but a little background on the requirements. So on the hospital side, hospitals are required to make standard charges public in two ways. One, there's a consumer-friendly display compromising at least 300 shoppable services, which can be satisfied through the release of a shoppable service file, or if you have a patient estimator tool most hospitals now are using the patient estimation system in lieu of a consumer display. The second requirement is a comprehensive machinable file containing negotiated rates for all items and services. And within that machinable file, there's five standard charges, a gross charge, a discounted cash price, payer-specific negotiated charge, which is probably the most important one in there. And then there's a de-identified minimum and a de-identified maximum negotiated rate across all payers for that item or service. It's important to know that on the, on the hospital side, these files need to be updated on an annual basis. In contrast, 
the transparency and coverage rule, which is for the health plans, the payers are really on the hook to do a lot more. They have three machinable files. They got one for in-network negotiated rates, one for out-of-network for allowed amounts, and then there's the pharmacy file, which has been delayed. These files were required about a year and a half after the hospitals. The payers went live July 1st of 2022, and the difference on the payer side is these files need to be updated monthly. There's an online price compare tool that the payers just went live with on January 1st of this year. And that's for the top 500 shoppable services. You could think of this as like Truvago or Kayak, uh, where you can go onto your ins- health insurance's website. There should be a link there where you can go to the online price tool. You type in whatever services you have a script for, and it should pop out uh, within your geographical area, some options for you and tell you what your cost is. You, you can compare costs in, in kind of a one-shot stopping experience. Then, in January 1st of 2024, that online price compare tool for the, for the payers will expand to include all, all schedulable services. And that's really just, that's really just around the corner. So that's kind of a background there on the, on the hospital and payer side of things. Well, I know that a lot of activity has been happening around price transparency. Could you get us caught up on any recent actions by CMS or other regulatory updates? Yeah. So. Last November in 2022, CMS had responded to the public suggestion is that more standardization or more fields and data elements need to be added into the hospital machinable files to improve the comparability of negotiated rates. However, these were just voluntary suggestions. So adoption has been minimal. One would reasonably suspect, though, that these would eventually be required. And that's exactly what's happening now. Last month in April, April 16th, there was a hearing to discuss a bill developed by the bipartisan leadership of the House Energy and Commerce Committee that would really bring a lot of what we're talking about with price transparency to the forefront. And then May 17th, the subcommittee advanced that price transparency bill to the full committee for consideration, uh, putting it very close to becoming a law. And then hot off the press here, May 24th, uh, the ENC committee unanimously approved the bill. Uh, setting it up for a House chamber vote. Now, the timing of any such vote remains to be determined, but it seems to be quickly moving through the the process. I'll give a I'll give a quick summary of some of the things in this bill that are that are new or or can expand on existing requirements. One is around the the uniform method and formats. So, no later than January first, twenty twenty five, the secretary will implement a standard uniform method and format for hospitals to satisfy the requirements. Basically, this is going to be similar to what the payers have. Currently, the payers have this GitHub website they go to where there's a schema and there's data specs that really helps them guide how their machinable files should be constructed. And it's a little bit more buttoned up and organized. And so this is something I think the hospitals can definitely benefit from that will give them more of a standard uniform method. There's also discussions around quality data. So right now, the way price transparency is laid out, it's definitely helpful for consumers to understand the cost of care and compare that across across hospitals or providers. But uh, to get that really full experience of shopping, they need they need that quality data. So HHS will be issuing a public request no later than 2025 for information as to what's the best method through which hospitals may be required to publish this quality data. Uh, for example, data like the Medicare hospital uh, compare program. 
There's also a lot of requirements that are going to happen on the health plan side starting in 2024. There are some things that that might change instead of the health plans having to update their mission profile every month. It might be every three months. There's also that drug file that has been delayed for quite a long time will likely be required in 2024. So there'll be three files going on for that for the payers. And then this part is probably the most important, which has been really challenging for a lot of folks that have been trying to access the health plan machinable files. There's going to be requirements so that the files are, are limited to an appropriate size and they're made available in a widely available format that allows for information contained in such files to be compared across health plans and accessible to individuals at no cost. Some of these payer files are as big as a terabyte and require just too much computing power to be able to access. And it can be really complicated to navigate and identify what you're, what you're looking for. So there's also discussion around a user guide being available for the consumer in plain English, explaining how individuals may be able to search for information uh, described. Lastly, uh, in terms of the health plan and how things might be enforced, no later than 2025, the Comptroller General of the U.S. will submit a report to Congress on the health plan compliance analysis. So far, I think enforcement has been pretty pretty scarce. There hasn't been any payers that have been fined, but we imagine that will be ramping up uh, soon too. And then further, way further down the road, closer to like 2028, uh, they're going to be, the Comptroller will be doing some nice analysis to kind of better understand, do some trending, look at differences in negotiated rates between for-profit, uh, not-for-profit hospitals, urban versus rural, uh, et cetera, and so on. Okay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to First Talk Compliance, brought to you by First Healthcare Compliance and Panacea Healthcare Solutions, as part of our commitment to provide high-quality, complementary educational resources. My guest today is Govi Goyal, President Financial Services at Panacea Healthcare Solutions, on the topic of evolution of price transparency and how to stay ahead of CMS requirements. Please show your support by providing a review on Google or Facebook. You can also follow us and subscribe on all forms of social media. So you briefly touched on the enforcement, and that's an interesting conversation. So could you expand on that and talk about how enforcement is has been going so far and then what's lying ahead? Yes, there has definitely been an evolution around enforcement and penalties on the hospital side. In 2021, when CMS price transparency first came out, the, the penalties were really low. And CMS knew that there was just not enough to create this sense of urgency around getting hospitals to produce these original files. So compliance was, was, was pretty low in the first year of 2021. And because of that, CMS dramatically increased the penalty starting in 2022, and they made it on a variable scale. So the longer you were deemed non-compliant and the bigger your hospital was uh, determined by bed size, the bigger the fine. Uh, by way of example, if you are uh, a 550-bed hospital and you were non-compliant for almost about a year, your fine could be as big as, as, as $2 million. And so that really helped increase the, the compliance quite a bit. Uh, to date, to look at some numbers here, and a lot of this data comes from a February article that was authored by some CMS leaders in health affairs, 70% of hospitals uh, that were sampled met the website criteria for price transparency. Now, it's important to note that that doesn't necessarily mean that they were compliant. And unfortunately, this has been misinterpreted uh, by, by the community. 
But CMS was clear in their article that this doesn't necessarily mean compliance. It just means they, you can think of it as they really meeting the spirit of compliance. Uh, either way, this was this was really a, a nice improvement compared to 2021, but but still not good enough. Still a lot of room to to grow. Uh, CMS had issued about 500 warning letters and roughly 230 corrective action plans. And uh, last year, there were two hospitals in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, that, fe- that fell under the same health system, uh, Northside, that were, that were fined. More recently, and last month in April, uh, there were, there were two, two other hospitals that did get fined. One of them is a small for-profit hospital in New Hampshire. They were fined a little over 100000 And the reasons why they, they got fined was they, they didn't respond or complete a CMS request for a corrective action plan, even after CMS had made multiple attempts. And that went back about 177 days. So that really added up to that 100K penalty. The other, the other hospital was smaller. It was a physician owned in Texas, and they received a penalty closer to $120,000. They did submit a corrective action plan to CMS, which is good, but they didn't end up fixing the issues by the deadline. So since they were deemed to be non-compliant for uh, well over half a year, I think 286 days, their their fine was actually higher than that than that smaller hospital. So if you think those fines are high, they are likely to be even higher in 2024, depending on the size of the hospital and, and duration of non-compliance. It could go as high as five million. CMS issued a fact sheet last month that outlined their review or audit process. You you can go on CMS's website and see this in their fact sheet, but they noted that their process is to really evaluate any complaints made by the public. They also review any individuals or entities that have done their own analysis, like, for example, like the Public Rights Advocate Group, and identified hospitals that might be non-compliant, so they consider that. And then CMS has their own internal audits program. They also gave some insight on how they prioritize the reviews. They, they partly prioritize based on the degree of how a hospital appears to be out of compliance. For example, the more egregious and the more they feel that the, the more violations, the, the higher it's prioritized. They're starting to use some, some more automation in the review process. Currently, hospitals that are not compliant, they have plenty of time to get in compliance. They have basically a, a 90-day window when the warning notice goes out. Then there's about a 45-day window to submit a corrective action plan. And then the hospital, this part's interesting, not the hospital, but not CMS, proposes a completion date uh, ranging, which usually ranges from 30 to 90 days. So that's all changing. As, as of April 26th, there was an enforcement update. CMS is getting a lot stricter. They're streamlining the compliance process. They're no longer issuing a warning notice if you are non-compliant and they're immediately going to a corrective action plan. As a hospital, you have to respond to that within 45 days. Uh, And then you only have 90 days uh, from the time CMS requested your corrective action plan to get your hospital machine file to be client. That is a really short time frame. If you're if you're a hospital and you are and you're not sure if you're compliant, uh, it's going to be very it's going to be very taxing for your organization to try to fix or create from scratch a compliant machinable file uh, in ninety in ninety days. And there's and there's even financial penalties if you fail to submit the corrective action plan uh, by 
by 45 days. Uh, lastly, there is there is some public shaming that will likely happen in that ENC price transfer bill that I was mentioning earlier that's about to come along. It was noted that there uh, will be a publication of list of hospitals. So no later than 90 days after that law has been enacted, HHS will establish and maintain a publicly available list on the CMS website that will be updated in real time. And pretty much any hospital that's non-compliant with price transparency, whether you have been issued a warning letter, a corrective action plan, a civil monetary penalty, you'll go on that website. And also each hospital that is just, just not just not compliant. It's basically, it's like Santa's naughty or nice list, but everyone gets to see it. Right. They make good use of that, which can be a motivation, I would think. Yeah, more so, more so than the fines, probably. Right. It sure looks like CMS is becoming a lot firmer with enforcement and shortening the timeframes to get into compliance. So do you have any advice for providers what they should do to help get into compliance? What, what do they need to do? Yeah, absolutely. Now's the time to really to really look into this. Generally, when I'm looking at machinable files that are out there, there's definitely the usual suspects and common errors. And these are these are some of the same errors that CMS will look at too. Some of these are quick fixes, like for example, the wrong file naming convention. There's a specific naming convention you have to follow when you post your machinable file. If that's off, you may still get a letter, but the good news is that one's, e- that one's easy to fix. The wrong file type. If it's not in a CSV or JSON or one of the other required files, you'll get dinged for that. Again, maybe that's still easy to convert, so you're, you're probably okay in, in a time frame to get, it, to get it up and running in the required format. The other one is, is the missing date of last updates. This seems to be a common error. You've got to display the date that you last updated the file. That's not necessarily that the date when the rates were effective. I think CMS understands that it's, it takes a little bit of time to produce the machinable file. So you're going to be working with rates that might be a couple months um, old, and maybe some of them are maybe no longer are effective. Again, that should be easy enough to put the date of last update on the file. The ones that are a bit more uh, complicated and may take more time to fix are scenarios where I've noticed there's not there's there's clearly not enough payers or plans represented, or you're just posting the payer and not the product type. You're supposed to post like Blue Cross Blue Shield PPO, not just Blue Cross Blue Shield. So keep in mind, you do need to put every payer and plan that you are negotiated with, including Medicare Advantage and Medicaid. Advantage. Also, if you have employer employee docs, those payers and plans that are contracted with those employer docs and associated negotiated rates also need to be on the file. You should also make sure you are using payer contract rate and term sheets to produce the file versus claims or payments data. CMS can tell if you're not populating your machinable file with all, with all items and services that you have a negotiated rate for. Uh, CMS also had a webinar, uh, probably going back as to late 2021, where they were very explicit about not using average charges, but instead to use your charge master, use your pair contract rate term streets to produce your machinable files. You wanna make sure that you have everything in one file. I've seen separate machinable files for DRGs versus CPT codes, you know, it should all be in one. You also want to make sure your pharmacy items are at the NDC level and make sure you include all, all supplies. 
a lot of hospitals have been taking a little shortcuts here and there. And I think CMS has caught on and identified a lot of these as, as non-compliant. Now, switching gears here, if you're using a patient estimation system in lieu of a consumer display, you don't have to show the negotiated rate, but you do have to show the patient's single out-of-pocket expense. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, you you can't really require the the patient to know what their cost sharing information is, like a deductible or coinsurance. That has to be automatically pulled in, so that the patient really is just presenting their information that's on their medical card and and putting in whatever services they're going to get to understand their out of pocket expense. As I mentioned again too, we, I've seen this uh, as a reason why CMS is sending out letters. You need to make sure it's easily accessible with no barriers. You can't be asking the patients for an email or login or to select all the boxes that have a, a light post on it, like some websites make you do. Now, if if the patient has insurance, then it, it is understandable that you might need certain things like their like their date of birth or to be able to pull up their benefit information. Okay. So I have one more question here. What can folks do to compare their rates to their peers? And should they be trying to use the hospital or the payer files? Great question. When you when you compare the payer and hospital files, you see a lot of similarities, but there's also significant differences. The biggest difference really is just the sheer size and structure of these payer files. As I mentioned earlier, in that bill that's about to come a law, there is language saying that you the payers have got to get these files in an appropriate size. I was trying to come up with a word just to describe how big and cumbersome these payer files can be. Massive just doesn't do it, so I'm going to go with gargantuan. Uh, that's really like how it's a much a better description on how on how just crazy big they are. And there 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 are some benefits with using the the payer files. There's there's more fields that are in the payer machinable file. For example, the payer files distinguish between what negotiated rates are on the hospital versus professional side. And there's also uh, an expiration date column to show you when that negotiated rate has expired. That being said, I've, I've looked at a lot of payer machinable files and I've rarely seen uh, this come into compliance, especially on the expiration date. So hopefully that's an error that will improve over time. Each negotiated rate on a payer machinable file is assigned what's called a negotiated arrangement. So for example, it could be fee for service, it could be a rate, a negotiated rate that's capitated, this is capitation, or bundled. Maybe it's paid at a claim level or a case rate basis. And each negotiated rate is also assigned a negotiated type, whether that service is paid on a percent of charge, fee schedule, negotiated per diem. A lot of this is currently not currently not required in the hospital files, but as based on everything we just were just talking about. And, and depending what comes out in CMS's proposed rule, which we believe we should be getting in July, a lot of these fields will likely be required in the hospital file. So be, there'll be a lot more parity between the hospital and payer files. Now, all that being said, the payer files do miss a critical field called the, the, the gross charge. They don't have negotiated rates for Medicare and Medicaid advantaged payers. So if you are a provider and let's say you are getting a paid, you're getting, getting paid on a percent of charge you would still most likely have to access the hospital initial file to do the math and figure out what's what's that dollar negotiated rate that you're going to get paid. You know, the million dollar question here, you know, which files should you be using? Neither, neither are perfect. They both have their advantages and disadvantages. 
at the end of the day, I, I think it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If your goal is to compare your facility or hospital against multiple peers, and you want to have a large peer group or, comp- or competitors, and let's say some of those some of those peers aren't local, so they may not have the exact same plan type you are contracted with. And let's assume you don't want to limit your analysis to just one pair. You want to look at several different pairs, but maybe compare one pair at a time to benchmark your rates against and see what the opportunities are. If you're doing that kind of multifaceted analysis, that holistic analysis, I would argue the hospital files are the are the better approach because you only need to access those handful of hospital official files or however many peers or competitors that you're compared to versus most likely you'd looking, be looking at hundreds of payer machinable files if you, if you wanted to look at a lot of different payers and plans and, and hospitals outside of your area. Because when you look at, when you look at the payer machinable file, that's just one payer file and it may or may not have the peers or competitors that you want to compare yourself to. On the other hand, if you're doing a narrow and, and targeted analysis with just one payer, and one local competitor, then I, I would say the pair files are the way to go, as long as you can open them. If you are using the hospital files, the best advice I can give you is keep in mind that, that the rate methodology is, not, is probably not going to be in the hospital file. Again, since right now it's just, it's just voluntary, it's just recommended. Eventually we, we're, we're, we're learning that's gonna be required. But that rate methodology, it might vary across hospitals for the same pair. So, you want to avoid comparing, say, a, a service that might be reimbursed on a per unit versus a, a, versus that same service for a different hospital gets reimbursed on a case rate basis. So, for example, if you're looking at a biopsy, that might be paid at the claim level to a hospital A by Blue Cross Blue Shield. But for hospital B, Blue Cross Blue Shield pays it at a per unit. You know, that's apples and oranges, and that can be that can be a little bit risky or dangerous to start um, making those doing that comparative analysis when really you're, you're you're looking at two different type of rate rate methodologies. We've also ran some uh, national data looking at the variance in negotiate rates across payers, plans, and hospitals. And I'll tell you the the biggest differences we're seeing when we look at negotiated rates for the same service across some of these factors. It's almost always due to the difference in product type. It has less to do with the payer. It has less to do with whether you're talking about Blue Cross. And it has more to do with if that product type's a PPO, HMO, Medicare, Medicaid Advantage, exchange. So you really want to avoid comparing a, say, for example, a PPO negotiator rate for Blue Cross to an HMO Blue Cross rate. Or even worse, comparing it to like an indemnity or exchange plan. Because most likely those negotiator rates are going to be different and they could be they could be drastically different because they're just basically in a different tier or product category. So hopefully that helps. Keep in mind the hospital files are evolving and comparisons will get better. You know, those are just some some caution, wisdom, some tips to get some more apples to apples comparisons with a goal that hopefully that you'll be able to use, hopefully hospitals will be able to use this to help prep for upcoming contract negotiations that they have with payers. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That was very comprehensive. Thank you so much again for being on First Talk Compliance. Thank you. Appreciate it. And thanks to our audience for tuning in to First Talk Compliance. You can learn more about the show on the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com.
and lend your voice to the conversation. Find us on LinkedIn and other forms of social media. You can also email me at katherineshort at firsthcc.com. I'm Katherine Short of First Healthcare Compliance at Panacea Healthcare Solutions. Remember, compliance is the key to achieving peace of mind.